Canny Cross Conversations, chatting all things dogs and running. Join me, Michelle. Me, Louise, as we chat to guests and experts about dogs and running, sometimes whilst we are out running. Welcome to this week's Canny Cross Conversations. Today we have Dr. Caroline Taylor, the slim pet vet, um, talking to us about dog growth and any injuries or injury prevention. So welcome, Caroline. Um, Thank you for your time and joining us here today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. Yes, so I'm uh, Dr. Caroline, Dr. Caroline Taylor, otherwise known as uh, the Slim Pet Vet. I've been a vet in the UK for the last 20 years. And over that time, and particularly with, uh, I was still working during COVID in, in the clinic, but we all had a little bit more time to think about things. And um, I realised that there, there are so many dogs, over 50% of dogs now in the UK are overweight, um, over their ideal weight. And this has dramatic impacts on not only their longevity, so how long they can live, but also their quality of life and um, what that, that quality of life is like. Because I've seen too many dogs that, you know, prematurely having to be, um, having to say goodbye to them, unfortunately. So I thought, well, we need to do something. So yeah, I created a free Facebook group and very soon to be opened a website to give people straightforward advice uh, from a vet within the industry but not you know I'm not affiliated with any food company or anything like that so it's completely unbiased um, and really going on the science what actually works uh, for for weight loss in dogs. Oh that's brilliant so yeah obviously we've seen a, a big growth in dog ownership during lockdown as well so do you think that's kind of had an impact on um on seeing more overweight dogs is that kind of what really interesting I mean it may be you know we we're all a little bit guilty of thinking oh we haven't done quite as much as as we used to our lifestyles were it was forced on us that we could only go out once a day and and you know I have to admit that I did take my dog out twice a day sometimes hands up um but um yeah we we were in the house a lot more we got used to giving ourselves a little bit of extra just because we were there um and I think we got into that habit with our pets as well um just from a recent survey done last year i think it used to be around 20 percent of dogs uh of around a year old um were overweight it's now around 37 percent so we have got this in store for us you know a, a bit of a battle you know okay you know dogs as they get older will tend to gain a few pounds particularly you know if if they don't live as as an active lifestyle as as they should uh but yeah it's 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 a unfortunately something you know that that could potentially um really explode so you know i I want to do something to try and prevent that yeah and that's scary isn't it because we talk about children being more obese now so it's kind of going into animals and and you know i know what my dog's like she'll eat anything if i give her half the chance but (laughs) i don't give her that chance so it's really scary and and I still don't understand why people let them their dogs. It's really interesting you say that. Yeah, you sort of think, well, surely you can recognise this before it gets that bad. But I think, you know, the pattern I often see is that a, a dog might gain half a kilo or a kilo each year. And you really don't notice it on a on a year by year 
basis. But obviously, you know, five years down the line, that dog is maybe carrying five or 10 kilos more than it should do. And because it's such a slow change, um, and actually, you know, that's a lot of what I tackle is not necessarily about, it, it, it's all those other factors. It's not just about the food, but it's about how active you are, what habits you have, just like with us, really, you know, um, you know, whether, you know, every time your dog looks at you you give them something to eat or <laughs> whether it's every time your dog looks at you you play a game with them and you know and actually oh, changing those sorts of things rather yeah. than necessarily thinking you're feeling too much take them exercising more you know it's it's it, it, this obviously gene factors we know that that dogs um yeah, uh, there's, there's a gene that about 1% of humans have, I think, or it might even be less than that, 0.1%. But in Labradors, 25% of dogs have this gene that, that makes them more likely to put over, overweight. So, wow. That's yeah. that quite interesting because I remember my last dog was more of a show dog, so she was a lot stockier than the one I've got now. And I kept her really slim because I do not like big dogs, apologies, you know, <laughs> don't like big dogs. And I've always tried to get her slim. And I remember being really offended when I went to the vets once and she told me that my dog was fat. So I was like, no. <laughs> so the poor thing went on a bit more exercise and a bit of starvation. <laughs> <laughs> I do try and avoid the F words. Um, in my clinics and, and when I'm talking to people because of the, oh, you know, don't tell me my dog's fat. But, but it's not just about, you know, how they look and, and all of that. It's actually about health. Uh, and we know, you know, dogs that, and, and particularly for certain breeds as well, one, you know, pugs, um, uh, French bulldogs might be more prone to gaining weight. Not only that, that if, if they are carrying extra, it can have, you know, not just impacts on their joints and heart, but, but on their breathing as well. So, no, that's... When does, oh, sorry, Louise. No, when does on. excess weight start to become a problem for the dog then? So, I mean, my dog's very, she's a very slim build. She's kind of a, she's a hound shape. So it's easy to see when she puts weight yeah. on. But that's yeah, what well, yeah, it's, well, what, what the best thing to do, and you can go and have a, a normally a free check at your vets to check this. It might be one of the vets who, who will do it. It might be one of the veterinary nurses. But the best thing to do would be to find out what your dog's body condition score is. And I'll have, obviously, on the website, there'll be, uh, I've got videos about how to do this easily um, and simply. And an ideal body weight for a dog is four out of nine or five out of nine on the body condition score charts. But hounds, greyhounds, whippets often are around three out of nine. You you can see, you know, you can see and feel their ribs normally. Yeah. You know, they'll normally be quite on the lean side. Um, but other dogs with longer coats or, you know, we think, oh, they should have, you know, it, a you know, they don't necessarily notice if they have a little bit of a belly, but but all dogs really should have a bit of an hourglass figure. So you can do things like wetting down the coat. Canny cross dogs are obviously quite wet quite a lot of the time. So it's quite a good uh, way of, of seeing whether they do have that hourglass shape and, and they're, they're, they're slim, um, slim build. But, you know, anything over six out of nine or, you know, obviously seven, eight out of nine, it's often not until they're eight out of nine overweight uh, which is equivalent to about 30% over their ideal weight that you actually notice necessarily. So that's why in that sort of, you know, 
grey zone, you could say. Uh, actually, you know, particularly if your dog is of a breed that is prone to osteoarthritis or hip dysplasia or any of those joint issues, elbow issues. Um, you know, a lot of Springer Spaniels can be prone to gaining weight and they quite typically get elbow problems. Yeah. Any, you know, it's it's much better to have them around four out of nine on the building condition score chart. Um, Sorry, so as clinical instructors, our, the dogs we normally see are fairly fit. Or, or, yeah. But if we did come across, and I don't know if you have, Michelle, I haven't yet, um, come across a dog that is a little bit overweight, should we yeah. be, what should we be thinking of to try and to help with the fitness? Well, I think it is a really good, um, I'm really looking forward to you coming to speaking to some of our members because I think it is something that you can do with your dog and very much at a level that you're all, you know, even if, you know, even if you're only running for, you know, um, two minutes and then resting, you know, it would be a case of, of very much doing it at, at the dog's pace. Um, but, you know, in some ways, you know, it, because it is a controlled speed, and you're in contact with your dog all the time, you can control how much they're doing. Um, you do, I, was I say, would say... Like a 5K or something like that, which is one of the things we do. Would be yeah. Really yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Is that how you, you start off? Yeah, I mean, 5K is still a long way. Um, yeah, so you, you work up to it. You're but working up to it, yeah. yeah. Um, I think you do have to be a little bit careful with overheating. Um, particularly in a dog that is overweight because they won't be as so so not so much at this time of year but you know um, later in the year um, wear and tear on joints may be a little bit more significant and really just going at their own pace and and you know slowing down the pace if we need to and doing a very gradual build-up I, I would suggest but you know I think it's it's great anything you can do um, you know and, and if that you know gets the owner fitter as well as the dog then the end all the better it certainly does that that's true <laughs> <laughs> yeah brilliant so so we've chatted a bit about overweight dogs and how to manage that um can we kind of look at the the other end of the scale now with puppies um mm. because as a vet we're really interested to hear your thoughts on why we advise we obviously advise people to wait to start canny crossing their dog until the dog's a year to 18 months old when they've reached yeah. maturity. So it'd be re really useful if you could just kind of talk through the reasoning, the medical reasoning behind that. Yeah, so um, different dogs uh, mature at different rates. And I think the difficulty now is that we always used to be dealing, you know, 10, 15 years ago, most of the time, um, you'd have purebred dogs, but now you have a lot more crossbreeds. So there used to be, you know, there's charts available um, for different ages of dog when they mature. Most of the time for a medium dog, sort of, you know, 10 to 25 kilos, around nine months of age, 85% um, of their growth plates will have closed. It's about 95% at um, 12 months of age and 100% at 15 months. Whereas if you're looking at the large breeds, so this is particularly, you know, the Great Danes, the Mastiffs and, and these giant breeds, you could say over 45 kilos at, at mature weight. At 12 months of age, only 80% of those growth plates are closed. Um it's around 85% in 
in Labradors, uh, you know, sort of large, large breed dogs. Um, and, and they're not fully closed until 18 months of age. So I think it is important. The reason why we don't want to exercise young dogs before um, they are uh, fully mature is because if these growth plates are damaged by, you know, concussion or injury or, you know, movement, then it can affect their growth. And it's not that one leg will be longer than the other necessarily, but one side of the leg. So they might be more likely to get little angular limb deformities and things like that if, if they get injuries. Um, and it can be little micro fractures or, or even, you know, more serious fractures of the growth plates. Uh, which can affect these things, but um, yeah, I was uh, there, there is evidence um, of uh, you know dogs that were made to climb a lot of steps and stairs. You know, under twelve months of age were more likely to have hip dysplasia when well, they get what older. About when a dog, sorry, when you take a dog for a run uh, for a walk and it runs around, is that not having it? You know, when it's under sort of a month old. Is uh, 12 months old, a month old. <laughs> yeah, well, there is there is this myth. A lot of people sort of quote it and some will say, oh, well, that's, you know, five minutes of exercise per month of age. And it, and it is a little bit of a myth. There's no actual, you know, proven study. I mean, I think it is a sensible rule of thumb. And that sort of five minutes, you know, it's different, isn't it? When they're running around and playing and... Y- 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 um, with another dog for five or ten minutes and it's yeah. a little bit erratic and, yeah. and not necessarily they're not running full pelt all the time whereas perhaps if they get distracted by football and are running and chasing their football and being at or, or a tennis ball even and you're throwing that tennis ball back and forth they can be so focused on that tennis ball that they will continue to keep running so even that sort of you know repetitive activity and it's the same whether it's canny cross or fly ball or anything like that that you, you want to wait until a dog is fully mature and, and so that can, can vary on on the breed and the size yeah. so so when they are fully mature then is it I mean, sort of putting my my business in doubt here but is that okay to keep doing that and, and how often and sorry if I'm jumping ahead but how often should we be canny crossing our dogs once they're sort of fully mature is it, are we going to do them any more damage it's it's a bit like you know um you've got to think of it a bit like us and and being sensible you know if i asked you know um uh, my sister who doesn't do a lot of running to come and do a 10k with me she would probably get injured whereas if i said oh well why don't we do a uh naught to 5k you know and and we'll in three months time we'll do a 5k but we'll build up with these these you know it's it's that conditioning and that you know gradual increase in distance and intensity um that that you would do and obviously you know i think we'll go on a little bit later about what sort of injuries and you know as the dog is getting older you know warming up and cooling down is very important just before we move off the where, how old do we need to wait until they're mature i just I know that there's a controversy now anyway about, oh, do I need to my dog or do I not? Um, this is just something that I thought that might be interesting to your listeners because um, it's it, we think it, it's it's sensible to, to have your dog neutered for a, a whole variety of reasons, but particularly if they're female. Um, but a lot of people think 
that um, it makes them more likely to gain weight or that sort of thing. In actual fact, it stops the closure of these growth plates. So by neutering your dog early or earlier, it prevents those growth plates fusing. So those dogs grow that little bit bigger or, you know, so their bones are going to be not as strong as they were when, you know, their muscles have to grow that little bit more as well because the hormonal influence normally tells the bones and the osteocytes and all of that to, to stop growing now. Uh, but that feedback mechanism is delayed when, when we neuter dogs at six or 12 months. Wow. So particularly, so particularly, this is why in larger breed dogs, so Labradors, um, and, you know, other, other breeds, we do say the advice now is really to wait until they're at least 12 months, if not 18 months. So, to, to so, them. so I've never heard that before. And that's fascinating, isn't it? So is it, do we have to... Do we have to ask that question then? So, for example, my, my, my pickle hasn't been neutered because I want to breed from her. But so would if I had, would I have to wait it even longer to start her canny crossing? Probably. Yes. Yes, exactly that. I mean, again, it, it, it ha probably has a lot less impact on the little dogs, on, you know, Jack Russells and, you know, miniature poodle crosses and things who are going to be maturing around about sort of you know 90 percent of their growth plates are closed around you know nine months anyway um but uh, and you know i i've in my career you know neutered many many dogs around six months of age and not worried unduly um about you know causing this issue but particularly if we were thinking okay we've got a dog you know an at-risk read of you know OCD or hip dysplasia you know what can I do to for maximum gain with minimum risk you know life is a risk is you don't know what's gonna happen um <laughs> this like this last two years has taught us <laughs> nothing uh, but yeah but um you know that that it's, it's it's always a balance of risk isn't it but uh yeah that's it's for for those I, I guess for those sort of you know obviously it's not just a of neutering that is this big thing it's all about nutrition and and you know that's why it's really important that we have a really good nutrition for our larger breed dogs uh particularly uh until sort of you know 12 to 18 months of age wow it's interesting you mentioned that because I've, I've just seen that a comment this week on social media about somebody not wanting to get the dog neutered because they were worried it might cause osteoporosis so is is there any truth in that um, it's hard not, to know what, what to believe not, when you see it not, online, isn't it? Yeah, not osteoporosis as such, um, but, you know, things like, so to do with the bone, it's called um, osteochondrosis desiccans is the official term, or OCD. And um, it tends to, uh, so chondro, osteochondrosis, the chondro part is it's actually a disease of the cartilage, uh, rather than the bone itself, but obviously it all functions as a unit. Um, and it's a disease of, that affects within the joints um, and in, in certain joints in particular. You know, this is a similar process that, that, that goes on in hip dysplasia, although that, that's slightly different with sort of loose ligaments and things like that. But all of these sort of developmental um, issues, if we have undue force at too young an age, um, you know, particularly repetitive force and whether that's, you know, running too far or, or throwing a tennis ball back and forth, you know, that, that 
I think I, th- I think ball throwing is is as, as guilty as as um, anything else really at, at a young age. Um, I'm quite pleased I didn't start the ball throwing until she was a lot older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I waited in my dog, and he's only a, a medium, a medium dog. Yeah, and also I think it helps them not get too ball obsessed as well. If you if yeah. you concentrate on other training, isn't it early on? <laughs> well, I'm just uh, blown away by that because I didn't know that, but it's really, really interesting. Yeah, amazing. Good. Yes. So where are we up to? Yeah. So, so how do, how can we tell that a dog has reached full maturity then if they're not kind of a purebred, if they're a crossbreed? How yeah. So it's end? sort of a, a bit of guesswork, you know, between, you know, what breeds they have and obviously keeping a very careful um, note of their weight, obviously bearing in mind they may, even when they're fully grown, they may continue to gain weight because they're building muscle and, and fat as well. Uh, you know, normally the bones will grow first. Uh, you know, it's, it's that typical sort of lanky teenager sort of the bones grow first and then they sort of fill out a little bit after that um uh so you there is um you can sometimes you can feel on the joints so the growth plates are not in the middle of the bone they're on the end of the bone near where the joints are and so sometimes you can sort of feel they're a bit thicker or, or knobbly and you can actually feel sometimes growth plates on the ri- on the side of the ribs where like, like there's a little little lump on the side of the ribs and once those little knobbles disappear this is a net, again another sort of rule of thumb rather than anything scientific um that that's one way of of being able to check but really just um you know keeping on their weight and and um you know going on on sort of the 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 guides for the size of your dog um if you are worried if you've got a puppy and you think oh are they growing at the right rate there are uh, growth charts available um and they happen to be available from royal cannon but they have been um they're good not breed related um but they if you have you can normally in normal times pop into the vet and find out your or if you've got a record of your dog at different ages um then you can a bit like um you know the human growth charts that you have for babies um, yeah <laughs> yeah they're, they're exactly the same and and so they're, they're it's not necessarily thinking oh my dog is at the 50th percentile or now he's you know at the 20th percentile it doesn't matter which percentile it is as long as that's consistent as as they're growing so that's another way if you've sort of you, you can just look back okay what weight were they where are they now and, and you can then see you know when they're reaching the the peak so you, I think they're fully downloadable. You can you can find those, or I can send those to people if they want to get in contact. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah, brilliant. Should we talk a bit, little bit about warm ups then? For yeah. 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 So we so when we start canny crossing, usually our dogs are really really excited, <laughs> and then <laughs> um, so we go off at a really fast pace, but. Do we need to warm our dogs up first? And how? what is the best way to do it, I suppose? Yeah, questions. I mean, I was wondering whether you, when you get to an event or when you get to a location, um, do you always put the harness on straight away? Or do you sometimes sort of have a little bit of a wonder? I personally, because Michelle hasn't done any events yet, but we're not talking about that at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, uh, I personally, when I go to an event, if we're going for a race, then obviously the, the dogs get really hyped up. So they've got all this energy and they want to go. And they can hear the other dogs yeah, and the excitement and all dogs, of that. Yeah, it gets them. So I tend to walk Pickle around and I put in a different harness because she's got a racing harness and a, a sort of normal mm. one just to get so she can have a sniff around and do all those bits but that is all I do then I go and warm myself up but she just has a walk that's all she has so well I think, I think that was enough or yeah mentally you know that I think that it, it it was it's important for them to sort of get into a sort of you know slightly calmer frame of mind and really that gentle warm walking around um should be enough you know dogs are designed to you know run at great pace with very little warning um you know they um i think it's it is important that um we do you know that gentle walking and and warm up first but i can't this other than sort of gentle stretching you know you could do simple um flexing and stretching of their joints um, before and after um, passive range of movement it's called um, just to sort of help warm up those those joints and things particularly sort of on a cold day and the other thing that I would be careful of would be um, you know the weather and if there's a chill wind and um, if they've got wet uh, because if they get cold um, just like us that they're more likely to injure themselves then. And sort of the cool down as well, because whenever I come back, so like I've been canny crossing this morning, I've come back and I just tend to walk a little way just to bring a heart rate down because I'm also a sort of personal trainer. So that in my head, I've got to calm it down. And is that yeah. a sensible thing to to do or? Yeah, I think it, it is sensible. And, um, you know, th there isn't really any sort of data or research on this um, in terms of what is the best thing, you know, we can do. But yeah, just from the sort of human PT side, um, you know, that sort of gentle warm down again, you can do sort of, you know, and it might be that you'll tie this in with, um, you know, the normal routines that you have, you'll dry, you'll, you'll wash them down uh, with um, warm water or, you know, a little hose, um, you'll check them over their limbs for any injuries or anything like that, you'll give them a little bit of a dry off and, a, and that could be tied in with a little bit of a massage. Um, in, uh, I also, um, uh, uh, provide uh, some um, uh, therapeutic equipment for, for veterinary practices um, and laser in particular. So I know this can be used, you know, in, in on the physio side and the human side for post injuries and things like that. So, you know, certainly massage and manual therapies can be really useful to sort of prevent injury on the human side. Okay. So that sort of thing. And, and sometimes you can then detect maybe a bit of a tension in one of the muscles around the shoulder or along the back or or in the high limbs you know and if your dog is used to having their their um, limbs uh, moved up and down and around you can then perhaps pick up any tension you know as as they're cooling yeah. down as well well we're, we're talking to Dominique uh, um, soon um, about physio in, in dogs as well so we're looking forward to that so we can ask her those questions. Yeah we can expand awesome. a bit on that can't we? Oh, yeah. let, let me know and I'll be listening in. <laughs> <laughs> so what sort of injuries should we be looking out for? In, I mean hopefully our dogs don't get injured um, 
you know, if we ensure... Yeah, interesting this. And uh, amazingly, there was a study done a few years ago, specifically, I'm sure you know it well, um, about uh, canny cross, because from a veterinary perspective, I would always thought, oh, it's going to be, you know, the wear and tear injuries, you know, the injuries of the knees. Uh, so the really common one is cruciate injury. And it's normally managed uh, with a variety of different surgical, you know, it's a, a tear of one of the little supportive ligaments within the knee. Um, and I would be, I was thinking, oh, that's going to be the most uh, common injury that's done. Um, but actually looking at the study, um, I think they they had around 150 to 160 dogs. There must have been a few extra dogs to humans, I think, because there was more human. But actually there was more injuries in the humans than there were in the dogs. So <laughs> that's a good start, I guess, from, from a veterinary perspective. And most of the dogs, if they did have an injury, completely recovered from that injury as well. The most common things were... Um, uh, injuries to the feet and the paws and the nails. So very similar to what we see in first opinion practice, lacerations, little cuts of, of the feet, abrasions, so little grazes, uh, puncture wounds. Um, uh, it's often dew claws that get damaged, uh, those, those nails sort of halfway up uh, the limb um, that get damaged. And, and sometimes they can be on a, a, back, a hind limb as well. Um, they're, they're not usually on the high limb, but sometimes they can be there. Um, so potentially, you know, I, I don't know how commonly they're used, uh, but, you know, uh, boots and, and protective boots uh, could help prevent those injuries. But I, I'd be a bit concerned that those boots perhaps wouldn't would rub and maybe not fit yeah. very well. And that obviously, you know, you, I it's think like people... putting a plaster on a blister and then that getting a blister around the blister sort of thing you know you do you do see people running with boots I mean I've not seen it but you see it all over social media and stuff and I sort of think oh no I don't want to do that the other thing that um I hear a lot about in the winter so to do with the pads because obviously when they're going to from you know sort of we try not to run them on pavements too lot too often so we're more on trails and stuff but mm. invariably you have to um, is it Musha's secret? Is, is that the, it's like a, um, a, almost like a Vaseline, I suppose, that goes over. Yeah. And, and I, I assume that what it does is moisturises the pores or the pads. Mm. Um, so I don't know if you knew of anything like that or, or heard of yeah, that. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of, you know, making sure that the, the diet that you're choosing is, you know, high in um, things like zinc and biotin and other things that can sort of strengthen the pads and, and the skin and the nails in general um, would be be useful. Um, and then um, also, I think that the main issue with pad injuries um, is that sometimes you don't necessarily notice them until they've got infected. So if you treat a, a straightforward, you know, even if it's glass, a cut within six hours um then the chance of that healing uneventfully is very very high whereas if you leave it 24 hours um then the chances of that wound is essentially then contaminated you know even if you made every attempt you could <laughs> to clean it, it it's a contaminated wound so it's much more likely to have then infection which can really delay healing in in foot wounds yeah, and, and you're right. Sometimes we don't, uh, we miss them, don't we? And and actually, I don't. I don't you know, sometimes like, don't see them. Yeah. 
And I don't know, Michelle. Bleeding has stopped sometimes by the time you've got to the car. So, yeah. you know, it's not until you wash them down, perhaps, and then you see, oh, there's some red here. Where, where's that come from? And then. Yeah, and actually, I don't, you know, I don't check it. her pads as probably as often as I should do. So maybe that's another mm-hmm. thing I should be doing, you know, when we come back from a run and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, just getting into a routine, drying off the feet, and then checking, you know, the, yeah. the, the main pads, the stopper pad as well, you know. Um, yeah. No, that's that's good. Yeah. So because obviously that stopper pad is there for a reason. It's I'm, I'm showing you on camera now, but I forget this. You know, you had to see that. But it's that stopper pad, you know, just um, behind the carpus. So our wrist, they have that little pad there, and it is because they often, if they're stopping oh, suddenly, good. they'll they'll overextend, and and that will actually be like a landing spot, you know, for their yeah, for almost you know, if, if they were like us, would would go back on on our on our arms. No, that that's that's brilliant, actually. Um, so, can I? Well, I, I don't know why I'm asking this question because I know older dogs. We 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 hear and see older dogs um, in, still enjoying their canny cross. But is there anything we need to be more aware of as as our dogs age? Um, and what and what sort of age are we potentially looking at? You know, that we should start to think. Oh, I need to take it down a bit. Or um, yeah, so keep them active, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we sort of, I know it's it's always one of those things, isn't it? Oh, well, my dog's, you know, the, not not old, he's, he's really fit. But, you know, you can be fit and yet still your risk of injury is is higher because of, you know, the normal um, changes that you have related to age. So really anything over the age of sort of seven or eight can be, you know, we, we class as sort of a senior pet. Um, you know, I, hesitate to say these days smaller dogs you know maybe that would be more like sort of nine ten uh because they're you know they're a they tend to live a lot longer than than um you know medium to large dogs um uh, but those sorts of um times and it depends whether they're new to canny cross or whether they've been doing it for a long time i mean you could say you know, if they've been very active from their early days, then maybe those sort of wear and tear injuries, you know, are going to be more likely. Um, but I think we need to just make extra care about, you know, warming up and cooling down. Um, and and what we were saying before about making sure that, you know, they're going at a pace that is suitable for them because they might in their head be thinking oh I can do this this is great and then you know a day or two later really you know I know myself uh you know it's always not the day after that it's the day after that if you've overdone it that that you're actually feeling a little bit too sore whether it's your muscles or you know you've overdone it a little bit so you know I I think you have to if you are seeing those signs then you know we have to take responsibility for you know either you know, reducing the distance, slowing down the pace and, and and doing that before, you know, that, oh, he's just got a little bit of a niggle becomes, oh, he's limping on his left back leg all the time. You know, it's, it, and it, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's that little niggle can actually be, you know, and, and, and just getting that checked out really. 
Do you know, that's that's so good to hear because as runners, we don't listen to our bodies. But I know mm. as dog owners, we will look at our dogs and we will we will listen, yeah. you know, we'll see what's going on with our dogs. So I think we'll, we'll be more caring of our dogs than we are of ourselves sometimes. Things, things to look for that can be a little bit of a warning sign are things like, oh, they're not wanting to jump up in the car the same. And it may well be that it's that repetitive in and out the car actually getting a ramp for an older dog. They can still quite happily run around, but that jumping up is is a bit too much uh things like um doing a bit of a bunny hop gate behind instead of um looking for it's quite normal for dogs to pace so that's not like in a trot that's like when they move their both back legs both left legs forward at the same time and then right it's quite normal for dogs to do that um but it can be if they're not if they don't usually pace and then they start doing that it can be a sign of of some sort of pain somewhere and any sort of sign of pain really you know it you know I, I know from from working with um you know uh, a lot of people within the industry and uh, obviously arthritis is is um a really uh, big issue for any dog over the age of um seven eight although it can occur in younger dogs as well most of the time this can be detected on x-rays um so um, you know, even if your dog isn't limping, you know, if if uh, it, it it can be worth just just checking with an X-ray and making sure there isn't. I, I, I don't know. I don't know about you, Michelle, but I think uh, because we can cross and we've got them directly in front of us. I don't. Know, I can see when she's not. Yeah, if the gate right. changes even slightly, it's noticeable, isn't it? Because we're very yeah. we're constantly focusing on them, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Do they normally, if they're galloping along, do they quite naturally sort of swap legs? You know, if it was a horse, I'd be thinking they'd be cantering on one leg and then they'd be cantering on the other. I know it's it's it, the, 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 they're running in dogs, but or do they just have, you know, is it just, you know, what, whichever, they have a favourite and then they swap sometimes? Yeah, to be honest, mine rarely gallops because I can't keep up with her at gallops. So <laughs> <laughs> she trot while I'm running and breathing hard and she keeps kind of looking at me going, come on, mum, you can do better than that. I was just <laughs> about to say, unless there's a duck, then we go quite fast and then it's survival and I'm not actually looking at her. <laughs> <laughs> no it is uh, I'm going to look though next time I, I don't know and um but the yeah, next time I go out I'm going to uh, have a check and see what she's doing yeah mine naturally tends to favor her left side anyway because she had elbow dysplasia when she was small mm. which just have having listened to you chatting it could have been caused by a myriad of things because she was a rescue she was stayed this, very early there's so, oh. there's so many factors yeah. you yeah. know there's so many factors and you know genes are a huge you know influencer as well so you know the, the obviously the the dice could have been rolled um uh, uh, we didn't particularly go into that actually you know if you are thinking of getting a dog um that you want to canny cross you know and and you haven't got the dog yet get them you know there is no excuse get the parents uh, make sure both parents have been elbow scored and hip scored it can be done a lot of people think oh no that's just the labradors it's not it can be done for every single breed um there's this you know a breed average and you should have below the breed average but really you should have as low as possible you know zero you know ideally you know if if you can you know there's there's no excuse for for, for one not having it done it, it's a standardized procedure 
that you can um you know so get I've, what I'll have to come back and talk about elbow yeah <laughs> no you will I, I've, had it yeah. I've had it done on pickle so yeah and she's fine yeah. so it's good yeah. well I'm conscious now of time because we could talk for ages and I know I that know, it's been really, I've, I've learned loads today again it's been fantastic thank I've you I've really Carla. enjoyed it yeah no it's been really good to talk to you well, thank you so much for your time. And I hope uh, everyone out there has learned something. I think the biggest thing I've taken away is about the neutering. Um, so if you've got a puppy, and I know um, Lily has now got her, her dog. So, um, you know, she's got a puppy that's um, someone who started Canning Crossing recently. And so I think, you know, people have found this fascinating. And um, yeah, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Good. Great. You're very welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. So I hope you've really enjoyed this week's County Cross Conversations. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review. And if you've got any questions, come and find us on social media and ask away.